Hello, and welcome to The Next Year in Payments, a podcast series brought to you by Linklaters. Today, we're going to be discussing innovation around payment systems. As we've touched on earlier in the series, much of the innovation in the payments market has been at the user interface level. Many of the new bold payment offerings by big techs and fintechs are in some sense just digital lipstick applied on top of existing legacy systems. But that approach can only get you so far towards achieving frictionless payments. So increasingly, we are starting to see innovation around the underlying systems, both on the retail side and the wholesale side. And that throws up a lot of interesting legal issues. I'm Michael Voisen, and I'm joined today by Richard Hay. In this two-part episode, we'll be chatting about some of the limitations of legacy systems and initiatives to improve and replace them, from infrastructure upgrades to global stablecoins and more. So Richard, Mark Zuckerberg once had a vision. He said, sending money should be as easy and secure as sending a text message. Do you think we're there yet? He might have said a, a, a Facebook message. I'm quite surprised he, he didn't. Um, now, the core to this issue is really the consumer and actually also on the merchant side, merchants and, and expectations, developing expectations as to how payments clear, settle are made. It's not just an interface question. There's a real fundamental question, particularly in developed economies, developed jurisdictions, as to whether they are at risk of falling behind other jurisdictions, which have managed to leapfrog straight into the, the digital era. So take China, for example. China historically had a very low point of sale um, uh, penetration in, in terms of existing infrastructure and had very high reliance on physical cash. And what we have seen is very, very rapidly an extremely high and strong move towards an almost digital cash payment society, at least in, in Chinese large cities. And as compared with other jurisdictions, notably the EU, America, you can imagine that part of the drive for that was actually the lack of existing digital infrastructure. So turning the, the issue around from a European perspective, Michael, you know, you and I, we make payments all the time and, and those payments work pretty well. And as we'll discuss, for example, if, if I were to transfer you money, you know, it's not going to settle instantly, but it will settle in a few hours. So the question is, is that good enough? Or are we, as consumers and, and as merchants, do we now expect instant payments and, and for payments to be cleared and settled instantly? And so fundamentally, that type of change is not going to be driven at interface level, at consumer level. It's going to require, I think, a more fundamental change, a change to the underlying infrastructure. And, and, and without that change, there is that question as to whether or not Europe and other developed countries are at risk of falling behind. So Michael, picking up again on, the, I guess, the rather provocative statement in the, in the introduction, are we just sticking digital lipstick on a digital pig here in, in Europe and in, in other jurisdictions? Or, or is something more profound going on that can really deliver instant payments? So I suppose the question being, is there a driver? Do we want or how can we achieve that instant payment that consumers want and how is that achievable? Well, I guess there are, there are two different systems, aren't there? One can look at the existing payment system, which has recently been upgraded with concepts like faster payments, the real-time gross settlement mechanism with the liquidity savings mechanism on top of that. Uh, the, the current system in the UK, for example, has uh, settlements as between banks at the central bank 
settlement cycles that last every that take place every three hours. And the question is, can we reduce that time frame even further, introducing, for example, the liquidity savings mechanisms we talked about, uh, so as to create far more instant payments? And the problem is, the shorter you make this time, the more the payments have to be made on a gross basis. And actually, it takes or requires a lot more cash to be locked up in the system in order for that to happen. However, where you've got very, very high volumes of transactions, it is possible to get the payment windows significantly shortened to less than a three-hour period. So I, I guess the, the answer is that it is possible to achieve not quite instantaneous cash because that would have a big, big drain on liquidity, but a smaller window, a smaller delay if you're using or upgrading the existing payment system. That's a really key point, Michael, that actually there is that trade-off between speed of settlement and the liquidity drain on, on the overall system. And do you, I mean, do you think there are other options, other systems out there that, that can achieve instant settlement without that, that kind of, or perhaps a different type of liquidity issue? Well, uh, yes, I think the, the other possibility is, for example, using what we might call a closed loop or the consumer term as a wallet. Uh, and if you have a wallet, you can preload your wallet, you can make a payment uh, instantaneously. The problem is, though, it, it requires cash to be locked up in these wallets. And to make a, a transfer from one wallet to another, you have to have another wallet with a wallet provider. And, and um, you're, you're effectively looking at a system, or you're looking at several closed systems. And in order to get instantaneous value transferred between two consumers or two users, you both have to be on that wallet structure. So again, it's very, very distinct from the, the real-time gross settlement system, which is centrally bank operated and a single system. The compromise being made is people have to lock up cash in separate liquidity pools that are known as wallets. It's almost like a, you know, a race to achieve that network effect that, that will enable the greatest number of participants to pay each other on that network. Yes, I guess you're right. If everyone has the same wallet, then uh, that solves a lot of the problem. It's unlikely that that's, you're going to see one wallet having such a dominance. And what we would like to see, though, is many people using different wallets and different wallet providers, and that each of those are going to have a separate liquidity pool. Those are the two possible solutions in a, in a domestic market. Cross-border and cross-currency is going to create even more challenges. It, it's an area right now where, of course, there are more noticeable difficulties. For example, it, it's harder to net because the payments are less homogenous. Settlement's harder because you're looking at different currencies, different settlement legs, and there are foreign exchange issues. The, you know, the, the cost or the drain of making cross-border payments is significant. I think we saw somewhere there was an estimate that um, on a $200 transfer, up to 7 or 8% of the value could be lost in the cost of making that transfer. Um, are there potential solutions to simplify cross-border payments? So, so you're absolutely right, Michael. There are significant issues in that space, but equally the price is astronomical. So, you know, there have been estimates of, of the amount of liquidity sitting dormant in, in Nostra accounts and, you know, to the tune of $5 trillion. Um, and similarly, in the, you know, the cross-border remittance market alone, we, we're talking annually sums of, you know, $600 billion being transferred as, as remittance annually. So the prize is huge. So how is the market looking to structure ways of addressing some of the issues in the, in the cross-border market currently. I think the, there are a few different models to look at. So the first one is there is existing cross-border infrastructure. The correspondent banking system in the interbank space in particular, existing infrastructure such as um, CLS, for example. And there are attempts out there to, 
to tweak that infrastructure ever so slightly and therefore relieve some of the, the pressures that are, are building up in, in the cross-border market. So building on the existing infrastructure to improve it and, and reduce some of the inefficiencies we talked about. Could you give me some examples of that? So two quite interesting, interesting examples out there that are actually quite straightforward to understand. Many payments take a long time or, or fail because instructions don't match up. And that's fundamentally a, an information issue, not really a, a payment issue. So if you and I, Michael, are you know, two banks and, and I think the payment is for £100 and you think it's for £110, well, actually, we have a break there and we have to, between us, figure out what the problem is. And that probably takes quite a long time. If instead we are both on a network and we can pre-clear, so I, I send you information and you agree with that information before the actual payment is made, then we can sort out those issues ahead of time. Two initiatives that are seeking to do the same thing in, in different ways from a technological perspective SWIFT GPI does precisely that for SWIFT participants and relies on a variant of its existing infrastructure. And the second example is JP Morgan has launched the Interbank Information Network, and that is a blockchain network, but fundamentally is not a, a transfer of value network. It's, a, it's an information sharing blockchain network trying to solve exactly the, the type of issue that I've just described. So those are two quite interesting examples in terms of tweaks to existing infrastructure and solving issues in the cross-border space in, in quite a straightforward way. Michael, we discussed liquidity pools at a domestic level and setting up a domestic wallet. Yes. The same thing applies or similar structuring can apply at a cross-border level where you have existing liquidity pools in different jurisdictions and a single coordinator of those different liquidity pools that enable settlement to occur very quickly, virtually instantaneously, at local level, but in order to affect a, a cross-border payment. So in other words, it's, it's exactly the same. Those are the two solutions we discussed earlier in relation to the domestic market. Take your existing infrastructure and upgrade it, or create wallets. We were talking about one wallet that was denominated in a single currency, but you could see how you could affect exchanges of currency if you load your wallet up with several different currencies and exchange between those as well. And we've got the liquidity pool aspects we talked about. Each wallet has its own separate liquidity pool, but you're achieving instant settlement cross-border at the same time. Exactly right, yeah. Are there other solutions in the cross-border context? I guess more fundamental change um, and, and deploying in particular blockchain and distributed ledger technology. Um, there are a number of systems out there that, that are looking to, I guess, take the technology that was underlying Bitcoin and improve it. So two ways of doing that. One is to create, to rely on the fact that a, a blockchain, a distributed ledger is fundamentally a way of coordinating a bunch of disparate participants, potentially globally. And so what that lends itself to, for example, is a way of coordinating entries on ledgers in different countries or potentially a single ledger but that enables a record of that transfer to take place at the same time. And so there are a number of systems, for example, that have looked at creating a tokenized cash instrument. And, and the utility settlement coin is a great example of that run now by Finality that looks to create precisely that digital cash instrument that is denominated in a local currency, but where a payment versus payment transaction can be coordinated globally through this, this single system. Now, even more fundamental change than, than that is an attempt to create a, a unitary settlement asset. 
You, you say that as a new solution, but of course, we've had uh, unitary settlement assets around for millennia. The earliest example has been gold or, or other commodities that people trade or barter with. It's a universal sort of currency in that sense, and, and it has that single value. And you could look through the progression over time, even the modern day, and you can imagine something like Bitcoin, for example, which has no intrinsic value. There are lots of issues with Bitcoin. We know of all of those. But that's another example of a potential cross-border settlement units of accounts. Well, precisely, and, and you've hit on a, you know a very contentious point in the in the Bitcoin community as to you know this philosophical question as to exactly what is Bitcoin? Is it a, a means of payment? Is it a commodity? Is it is it digital gold effectively? Now, setting that debate to one side, one of the fundamental issues with with Bitcoin in particular as a means of payment, as a means of solving the the cross border issues that we've been discussing, is its volatility. And you know, one need only look at the, the historic price of, of Bitcoin to realize that. And so emerging out of that space have been a number of, including very high profile attempts to create a coin that is stable, a, a stable coin. And, and in, indeed, some potentially that are no longer denominated in a currency of a, an existing currency, but actually creating a new unitary and global settlement asset. Fantastic. So there we are. Efforts are certainly underway to improve legacy systems, but the question is how long will it take and whether it will ever be able to achieve instant and frictionless payments of value. In the next part of this episode, we'll be looking at initiatives to create new closed-loop payment systems that don't rely on legacy infrastructure. And for example, we've been talking about stablecoins and we're going to investigate stablecoins and talk about them a little bit more later on. But in the meantime, do get in touch with us if you've got any questions about payment systems. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.